Well, my name's Jeremiah. Um, some of you guys may know me, some of you may not. Um, my wife and I have been going here about five years now. Um, we've been fortunate to actually dedicate two of our three kids here at Risen Life, so our family is growing here at Risen Life. Hi, hi, Judah. Hi, Addy. They're back there. <laughs> actually, um, if you guys remember, there was a Seder. Uh, I led the Seder this last um, Holy Week, and Angela, my wife, had to hold back my son, my Mike, my early, he wanted to come up and just eat all the stuff and be with dad. But, um, but what I love about parenting is you get the joys, right? The joys and blessings of parenting, but you also got to deal with the cliches. You get to deal with the cliches of how your kids react to stuff. And um, I know our kids are this way, and I'm sure, well, I, I'm going to say a lot of our kids are this way because I was this way as a kid as well. Um, anytime something's off in our house, right? Anything that's maybe out of balance, the universe isn't exactly the way it should be, if one of our kids feels slighted in any way, you're going to invariably hear three simple words. That's not fair, right? Dad, that's not fair. Why does she get the big cookie? I get the small one. Why, why does he get to watch more TV than I do? Why does he get to stay up later than me? Well, because he took a nap. That's why. But that's why. Why? That's not fair. Dad, that's not fair. And it's a thing I told my dad when I was a kid. It's a thing my dad told his dad when he was a kid. Since the beginning of time, I think parents have heard their kids tell them that's not fair. And the book of Jonah is a beautiful book because it has this concept of a, a fairness coming into a direct collision with God's mercy. And when the dust settles, God's mercy always wins, always wins that collision. And when we think about God's mercy in Jonah, and so mercy is defined as getting, not getting something I deserve, not getting the punishment I deserve, not getting the consequence for my actions. And when we think about God's mercy in the book of Jonah, we see the truth of God's mercy, mercy kind of driven in a really short idiom that I'm going to repeat a lot today. It's a little rhyme that kind of helps me remember how God's mercy plays out in the book of Jonah. And it's as simple as this. God's mercy in the book of Jonah isn't fair, but it's always there. God's mercy, as we're going to see again and again and again, isn't fair in the book of Jonah, but it's always there. It always shows up. And I want to unpack that statement through the three characters in the book of Jonah. The sailors that we encountered last week in chapter 1, Jonah, the main character of the book, and the Ninevites, who Jonah is going to preach to, where Jonah is meant to go when God calls him to go to Nineveh. And I want to look at God's mercy and how it isn't fair to each of these three characters, but it's always there for them. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. In this case, God not being fair is good for these characters, and we'll see that. So let's start with the sailors here. On one sense, when you first read chapter 1, and we talked about this last week, last week Pastor Jim walked us through chapter 1, it doesn't seem fair that because of one man's actions that gets on a random boat that all of these sailors have to now be in the middle of the storm about to lose their life. It doesn't seem fair to me that as I read and know that Jonah is the reason this storm is happening, that the rest of these sailors are going to potentially die because of one man's actions. 
But as you read a little more in-depthly into this, as you read a little bit more about the sailors, it starts to reveal that, well, the sailors weren't the best people to begin with anyway. They worshipped other gods. They had a very transactional relationship with that god, lowercase g, that they worshipped. In fact, Jonah 1, verse 4 and 5, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on that sea, so that the, the ship threatened to break up. The storm was that bad. Then the mariners were afraid, that the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Each cried out to his God. So as I think about fairness, I think about, well, maybe they did, did deserve some type of punishment because they didn't follow Yahweh. They didn't follow the true God. Maybe there is some fairness in the storm that they found themselves in. I think about that a little bit more. And then I think about the transactional relationship they have with their God. They would, you know, it's kind of akin to what we would call karma. If I do good things, good things are going to happen to me. If I do bad things, bad things will happen to me. Let's, let's notice a little bit later, they cast lots, right? Jonah gets revealed as the reason the storm is happening. They go to Jonah and say, okay, Jonah, how do we stop this storm? We're all going to die unless something happens. Something drastic needs to happen. Verse 11 picks up there. They say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous by the minute, by the second. And he says to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it's pleased you. Again, this idea of fairness shows up in the way they viewed the world. If we throw this man overboard, this quote-unquote potentially innocent man, something bad is going to happen to us. That's how they saw God, right? That's how they saw the interaction that they would have with God. Very transactional. If I do something bad, this God that we worship, this fake God is going to come and get us like the boogeyman. If I do good things, good things will happen. But if I do bad, bad things will happen. You can see this idea of fairness in their mind play out as a very A plus B equals C every single time. That's how they interact with their lowercase g, God. And so the reason why they want to row back to the land, the reason why they want to get back is not because they care so much about Jonah. It's because they don't want to be caught in this wrath of God killing up an individual. They want to actually, if we can get back to land, if we can save everybody, nothing bad will happen to us. But Jonah says, no, 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 you have to throw me in. That's the only way this stops. And so reluctantly, they throw him overboard. They send this man to his death, Jonah, overboard. Immediately, God's mercy shows up. Once Jonah hits the water, God's mercy shows up and that storm stops. Everything is still. And you look at that, I look at that, and I say, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair that because of their actions or Jonah's actions that everybody should be saved. Well, everybody but Jonah and we'll see what happens with him. But that doesn't seem fair, but it goes back to that idiom. It goes back to that saying. God's mercy in the book of Jonah isn't fair, but it's always there. It shows up. 
Next, let's look at Jonah. Jonah deserves punishment for what he did. God was very clear in the first chapter, first verse, go to Nineveh. I have clear direction for you. Go to Nineveh and preach a word of repentance. Preach a sermon of, of, of love, a sermon of my mercy. And what does Jonah do? We heard about it last week. Jonah goes the opposite way, right? That's the, that's the beauty of Jonah. You want me to go this way, Lord? Okay, I'm going to go this way. And the, the beauty of the verbs that show up in Hebrew is down. The, he goes down to Tarshish, down to the boat, down into the hole, as if to say, I'm going completely the opposite direction of where God wants me to go. And there should be a consequence for that action. That would be fair. The consequence for that action is Jonah should die in the storm. Jonah should drown. The, Jonah should die because he disobeyed God. It was a clear disobedience. There isn't this, I can play the ignorance of, oh, officer, I didn't know I was breaking the speed limit here. I didn't know, I didn't know. No, no, Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. Jonah knew exactly what he was doing. And in fairness, or my idea of fairness, Jonah deserved a punishment. And yet what happens to Jonah? Jonah falls into the water. Jonah's sinking down to the depths of the sea. And God's mercy in the form of a fish swoops him up and saves his life. And it's in this belly of this fish that Jonah starts putting two and two together. He starts saying, well, I know what I deserved because I disobeyed God, and yet God's mercy showed up, saved me, and here I am in the belly of a fish. My life is saved from being drowned. And this is my prayer, the prayer we read this morning, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. And he said, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. The belly of Sheol is a, a, a kind of Hebrew equivalent for hell. But I, I called out from the belly of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the depth, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your billows passed over me. You can kind of see the image of him falling into the ocean, of having very little breath left. He's about to drown. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple again. There's a little bit of hope there. But that hope is dashed in five as the water closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. There is no hope for this man. This man it's, it's over for him. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. I'm in the depths of the ocean at this point. And yet you brought me up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, when I had no breath left, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. The fish comes, swallows Jonah up, saves his life. And here again, I'm reminded of that idiom. God's mercy isn't fair. Jonah deserved death. And yet God's mercy is always there. He saves Jonah's life. He saves the sailor's life. They deserve something different. He saves Jonah's life. Now let's look at the Ninevites, the third character in the story. So the last character, Nineveh, those who live in Nineveh, the Ninevites. We talked about this a little bit last week. We're going to talk about this more in two weeks from now. Nineveh, for just generality, just kind of general overarching 
stereotype, they're not even a stereotype, it's just the truth of the matter is not everybody in Nineveh was this way. But Nineveh was known for being a very brutal, violent, horrendous group of people. They didn't just take over people groups in order to rule them. They came in and they squashed towns. They came in and they pillaged, pillaged villages. They ruled by an iron fist. They were a violent, rough, brutal, brutal people. Everybody knew it. In fact, and not to justify Jonah's disobedience, but I can, I can see why Jonah, when he hears or when he's told by God, go to Nineveh, why he would second-guess that. And not so much out of fear of what these Ninevites would do to me because they are brutal people, but more so out of why would I ever want to give them an opportunity to repent? Why would I ever want to share with them a message that may have one, one of them even turn from their evil ways to know God? In Jonah's mind, he's playing out what is fair. These people are horrible. These people treat, treat everybody with no regard for life. Why would I ever want to give them a lifeline? You know, it's that mentality. I, I used to work um, at San Quentin Prison, and it's the mentality that so many people have is when you're on death row, there's no hope for you. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing that could save this person. Why would I ever want to give them any hope of Christ? Because they're so far gone. They're so evil. They're so un, unredeemable. That's Jonah's thinking, his idea of fairness. And that's why Jonah goes the other way. And yet what we see as we look in chapters 3 and 4 is Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh. He shares the message of God. And what happens? These Ninevites turn. These Ninevites repent. They end up worshiping God. And you can't help but say that God's mercy in this instance, of all the instances, is far from fair. The Ninevites, of all people, deserved the worst that could happen to them. And yet God's mercy is always there the mercy, God's mercy shows up for these people. Again and again and again in the book of Jonah, that plays out, this idiom plays out. God's mercy is not fair, but it's always there, and it's there for the best of the sailors, Jonah and Nineveh. They deserve something, all of them deserve something far different than what God ended up giving them, which was life. So that's one side of the equation. It's one side of the coin. But now let's look about the other side of the coin here. What do we do when we encounter God's mercy? How do we respond? And this is where I want to kind of take a kind of take a pivot and say, okay, now we've established in the book of Jonah what God's mercy looks like and how God's mercy isn't fair, and that's good. That's a good thing for us. But how do you pivot from that? What is our response to that? And more importantly, not even so much what my response is to that personally because I will welcome God's mercy any and every day He wants to give it to me, right? I mean, I would say most of us would shake our head. If God is showing me mercy, I will take it. The question becomes, what about to the neighbor? What about to the person that we feel doesn't deserve God's mercy? How do we react then? That's what I want us to think about. Both personally, how do I accept God's mercy? What is my response there? 
but what is also my response when I see somebody receive God's mercy that I believe shouldn't, that I believe isn't fair? That's not fair that they get God's mercy as well. How do I react there? There's a lot to say. Jonah can help us with both of those, both of those things. So let me share, just kind of relate a little bit and relate to that song that led us into this uh, sermon. Uh, so back in the mid-2000s, I was uh, up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. That's where I um, pastored for a few years. I was finishing my seminary degree at Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, which is now Gateway. This is where um, Pastor Jared got his doctorate. And um, I was pastoring a youth pastor at a church uh, in San Rafael, California. It's called Bay Marin Community Church. They had a small little high school youth group. And what was funny is in the mid-2000s, eh, funny is probably not the word, it's just the way it was. In the mid-2000s, every single worship song, some way, shape, or form had like six degrees of Chris Tomlin. Like you could always get back, every single song, you could always get back to Chris Tomlin. Either he wrote it, um, he produced it, he was in the studio when it happened. He breathed on it. I know, it, it, whatever it may be, every single song it seemed like that we played that was popular had something to do with Chris Tomlin. And I remember one summer we were going through the book of Romans, and we spent about 12 weeks that entire summer working through every single verse in the book of Romans with a bunch of high schoolers. It was great. It's great. They loved it. I loved it. I don't know if we got anything out of it because I was like 20, mid-20s, like, what am I doing here? What's, what's happening here? But we worked through it. It was great. And um, we, I remember the kind of the foundational verse that we used to kind of set off everything else was Romans 2.4. Romans 2.4 is what that song is based on, kindness. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Your favor, Lord, is my desire. Romans 2.4 and the song that Chris Tomlin, that's what we sang pretty often that summer as we worked through the idea of God's kindness leading us to repentance. Romans 2.4 goes simply like this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness, another word for that would be God's mercy, is meant to lead you to repentance. It's meant to lead you to turn. Turn from the direction you're going away from God and turn 180 degrees towards God. That's the idea of repentance. Repentance very simply, sim uh, simply is turning. Turning away from what you were doing apart from God, towards God. And when you see the three characters in the book of Jonah react to God's mercy, it's always the same response. It's a response of repentance. They say, Lord, we need to repent because we've experienced your mercy, something we didn't deserve, something that wasn't fair, but we received it and we want to repent. Um, the sailors, great, great um, concept here, verse 16 of chapter 1. The storm calms, everything's calm now, and immediately the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They saw in God the true God, not the ones that they had previously worshipped, not the lowercase g, not the perspective, the paradigm they had before. They saw in the true God for the first time the power of who this God is, to be able to control the seas that they could never control as sailors. I mean, if you, I mean, it's one thing to know, like, the ocean. If you ever talk to the sailor about an ocean, they'll tell you, I professionally work here, and I have, this, this place is crazy. The ocean is a crazy, crazy place. 
And here is this God, this God of Jonah, Yahweh, who's able to control it. And you see the wrath of God one second, and immediately you see His benevolence, His mercy as He stills those seas. And what can the sailors do but repent? That's their only action. That's the only response that they could say is, in awe, Lord, thank you. I need to turn from what I was doing to now to you because I can't help but see your glory, your power, your strength, your mercy in what you're doing right now. That's the sailors. Jonah, Jonah, as he's working introspectively inside the fish, so it's kind of like meta, he's in the fish with the, in the anyhow. Um, but he's there, he's inside this fish working through like, what is it that I deserve and why did this fish show up and what is God's mercy and what, is, what do I need to do? He comes to this conclusion at the end of his prayer in verse 8. Those who worship false gods turn their back on all of God's mercies, but I'll offer a sacrifice to you with songs of praise. I'll fulfill all my vows for my salvation, the heart of which is repentance, comes from the Lord alone. Jonah's working through this concept of God's mercy and what does it mean to have been saved by this fish, to have disobeyed God, deserved punishment, and yet God shows up at the the literally last second, saves my life, and in that belly of that whale, I'm working through realizing that salvation, what I need to do in response to God's mercy is repent, for from God alone am I saved. God alone am I saved. God's mercy saves Jonah, and Jonah cannot help but say, Lord, I was wrong. I disobeyed you. I deserved punishment and death, and you gave me life. Renewed. So much so that once he utters that last words, those last words, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone, Jonah 2.10 shows up. And that was really eloquently spoken by Hank here. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Jonah realized what he needed to realize, and God said, you've learned enough, now go do what I ask you to do. Chapter 3 starts the same way chapter 1 started. God says, go to Nineveh. This time, though, Jonah listens. This time, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches a sermon, a talk of repentance, of God's love, of God's mercy. And what ends up happening? For our third character, they listen, and they repent, and they turn from their ways. The entire city of Nineveh turns from its ways and goes towards the one true God. We'll, we'll hear, hear more about this in chapters 3 and 4, but what's unique about this, and this ends kind of where I want us to just really sit and marinate in this concept of what happens when we see God's mercy being shown upon people that we don't believe deserve it. Because what ends up happening is Jonah gets very frustrated with God over this. He gets mad at God. He says, how dare you send me to Nineveh to save these people? I knew this was going to happen. This is why I ran away in the first place. I'm totally fine with you giving me mercy, but I'm not fine with you giving them mercy. You saving them. How dare you, God? And in the next two chapters, we're going to see Jonah deal with that anger and God basically telling him, that's not yours to care about. 
It's not, you're, you're not the one doling out mercy here. You're not the one that needs to deal with This is mine to give, Jonah. Don't be mad about this. Embrace the fact that there's new life in this, this city, because, and I used you to do it. And I think the reason, part of the reason why, and where I kind of want to summarize here is, is, is Jonah's perspective while he's in the whale, while I think he gets to a point of repentance and he accepts God's mercy for himself, he still struggles with this concept of mercy for others, especially those that don't deserve it. I want to go back to verse 8 and I want to point out a few things that are in his final prayer, his last words before the fish vomits him up onto the land. And notice these words again. He ends right where I think he needs to end. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. But notice where he starts. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all of God's mercy. He says that as a point of fact, something that he believes. Nineveh worships false gods. They turn their back on God's mercy. But he can't ultimately accept that they may actually end up repenting. And he struggles with that. So he's already setting himself up it's a foreshadow for his frustration and his angers with God because he believes God is going against a truth of, the, of all ages. Well, those who worship false gods can never know God's mercy, can never experience God's mercy. And God says, no, 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 it's not how I work. Because again, my mercy isn't fair, but it's always going to be there. So to learn from Jonah, and as we kind of move into this time of communion, I believe we have to have kind of a 360 view of what God's mercy is. Not just for me personally when I experience it, but when other people experience it as well, especially for those that don't, we feel don't deserve God's mercy. So I want to throw up here, throw up, that's probably not the right word to use. Uh, (laughs) I want to put on screen three truths that I think we want to embody when we encounter both the book of Jonah and God's mercy is described there, but also Christ's cross as we think about communion. The first one is, God's mercy may not be what we want, but certainly what is needed to drive God's mission. It's the first thing that Jonah needed to realize, and I believe we need to realize as we come both to the communion table, but as we just work through life and see God's mercy play out, its role in how he saves people. The second one is, God's mercy is who he is. And it's not ours to demand anything of it. And the third is, is God's mercy is His to give, not ours to dictate how He should use it. I believe Jonah, as you look at his story, he understands aspects of this. And I think he is probably an indicator of us. When it comes to experiencing God's mercy personally, we're all on board with these truths. We understand them. We abide by them. We love them because God's mercy is a good thing for us. The trouble for Jonah, and I would say the trouble for me, I'm not going to say anything about you all, the trouble for me is, is when I see God's mercy play out with people that don't, I feel don't deserve God's mercy. And then these truths become a little more fuzzy. These truths, oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't like that, God. Should you really give your mercy this way? Should you really, really do it this way? Is this really the right thing to do? And I start to question God because of my idea of what fairness should be, how this person is not getting what they deserve in that process. And so this morning as we come to communion, 
there's a lot of different things we can think about, and there's a lot of things we can do to prepare. Um, but the one I want to do to prepare is I want to kind of set up really quickly Christ's cross as it relates to these three truths and have us reflect on that. And not so much even from a standpoint of repenting, because before we come to the table, we are called as Christians to repent of our sins. But maybe this particular communion, in addition to repenting of our sins, the things we've done wrong, also consider, Lord, that through this table and through my life, you may show mercy to people that I don't want you to show mercy to. Lord, forgive me of that. Forgive me of that. That's not something I often think about when I come to communion, but I think that's something we should think about. Certainly for Jonah, it forced him to think about, and his reaction was one of anger, frustration, annoyance with God. But we can learn from Jonah. We can grow from Jonah. And so consider this. Consider this, this, this communion we're about to take, the bread and the wine, the grape juice, the body and the blood, and consider that Christ's cross as we work through these truths, Christ's cross, His sacrifice was not what people wanted. If you recall, there's Palm Sunday, there's Good Friday. A lot happens between that week from people praising who Christ was to crucifying this individual. And the reason why is, is because the cross was not. That Messiah, Jesus as the Messiah, was not what Israel wanted. They wanted a sword-yielding king that would throw off the Romans and rule for the rest of ages. That's what they wanted. They wanted a warrior king. And Christ said, no, I come as a suffering servant. That's the mercy I'm going to show. That's the mercy I need to do to move the kingdom mission forward. So when we come to Christ's cross, we have to accept that. We have to accept that that's not always the thing that we want. We don't always want Christ on the cross. We want something different. But no, this is what Christ gave us. This is his ultimate act of mercy. The second point that I want us to reflect on as we go into is that Christ's sacrifice through the cross is the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And as much as maybe we want him to have done something different, we can't demand him to do anything different because it was perfect in its sacrifice, perfect in its form. I can't tell Christ, if you had only done these three other things, it would have been better. I can't tell Christ, if you only just offer it to these people and not to these people, it would be better. No, Christ came for all through his sacrifice for all. And no matter who picks it up, no matter who uses it, no matter who runs with it, glory be to God, not to me. I can't make demands on Christ's sacrifice. And the last, kind of tied to that last truth there, is that the cross was God's or Christ's to choose, to do. And I may expect something different or want a different outcome to the cross or how the cross works in people's lives, but that's not my choice. That was God's choice to do. Our choice, our opportunity this morning when we come to the table is to come of one repentance. To repent based on what we know today to repent if we've chosen to disobey, to repent if we're running from Him, to repent if we're just mad that God's showing mercy to people we don't think should have His mercy. It's our time now with this table, as it was for the sailors, for Jonah, for the Ninevites, to see what God has done, to fall on our knees and repent and say, sorry, Lord.
Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy. And we thank you that it's not fair. We thank you that your mercy is far from fair because the reality is, is I, I should have had punishment long, long, long ago. And yet again and again, Lord, you show up. You're always there, Lord. You show up. Lord, we pray. We thank you for this table. We thank you for your son's sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that as we come to this table this morning that we can truly reflect on what it means to repent and not just repent personally for our sins, for our misgivings, for our, for our disobedience, Lord, but for that thing that shows up in my life all the time. When I look and I say, God, that's not fair that you're allowing that person your mercy. It's not fair that that person is allowed to flourish when I know that they should suffer. Lord, I pray that you just break my heart of that. Allow us, Lord, to repent this morning of that sin so that we can come to this table free and clear and worship and celebrate your sacrifice, your holy, perfect sacrifice through the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.